Volume Nine, Chapter Four, Part One of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Valle. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Harris by Francis Burney. Volume Nine, Chapter Four, A Wrangling, Part One. Mr. Monckton, the next day, as soon as breakfast was over, went out to avoid showing even to Cecilia the anxiety he felt concerning the regulation of her fortune and arrangement of her affairs. He strongly, however, advised her not to mention her large debt, which, though contracted in the innocence of the purest benevolence, would incur nothing but reproof and disapprobation from all who only heard of it when they heard of its inutility. At eleven o'clock, though an hour before the time appointed, while Cecilia was sitting in Lady Margaret's dressing-room, with sad civility and an aching head, she was summoned to Mr. Briggs in the parlour. He immediately began reproaching her with having eloped with him in the summer and with the various expenses she had caused him from useless purchases and spoilt provisions. He then complained of Mr. Delvile, whom he charged with defrauding him of his dues, but observing in the midst of his railing her dejection of countenance, he suddenly broke off, and looking at her with some concern, said, What's the matter, Ducky? Ain't well? Look as if you could not help it. Oh, yes, cried Cecilia. I thank you, sir, I'm very well. Would you look so blank for then? said he. Bay, what are you fretting for? Crest in love? Lost your sweetheart? No, 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 cried she with quickness. Never mind, my chick, never mind, said he, pinching her cheek with resumed good humour. More to be had, if one won't snap another will. Put me in a passion by going off from me with that old grandy, or would have got one long ago. Hate that old Don, used me very ill, wish I could trounce him. Thinks more of a fusty old parchment than the price of stocks. Fit for nothing but to be stuck upon an old monument for a death's head. He then told her that her accounts were all made out, and he was ready at any time to produce them. He approved much of her finishing wholly with the old Don, who had been a mere cipher in the executorship, but he advised her not to think of taking her money into her own hands, as he was willing to keep the charge of it himself till she was married. Cecilia, thanking him for the offer, said she meant now to make her acknowledgments for all the trouble he had already taken, but by no means purposed to give him any more. 
he debated the matter with her warmly told her she had no chance to save herself from knaves and cheats but by trusting to nobody but himself and informing her what interest he had already made of her money inquired how she would set about getting more cecilia though prejudiced against him by mr monckton knew not how to combat his arguments yet conscious that scarce any part of the money to which he alluded was in fact her own she could not yield to them he was however so stubborn and so difficult to deal with that she at length let him talk without troubling herself to answer and privately determined to beg mr monckton would fight her battle she was not therefore displeased by his interruption though very much surprised by the sight of his person when in the midst of mr briggs's oratory mr hobson entered the parlour i ask pardon ma'am cried he if i intrude but i made free to call upon the account of two ladies that are acquaintances of yours that are quite as one may say at their wit's end what's the matter with them sir why ma'am no great matter but mothers are soon frightened and when once they are upon the fret one may as well talk to the boots they know no more of reasoning and arguing than they do of a shop ledger however my maxim is this everybody in their way one has no more right to expect courageousness from a lady in them cases than one has from a child in arms for what i say is they have not the proper use of their heads which makes it very excusable but what has occasioned any alarm nothing i hope is the matter with miss belfield no ma'am thank god the young lady enjoys her health well but she is taking on just in the same way as her mamma as what can be more natural example ma'am is apt to be catching and one lady's crying makes another think she must do the same for a little thing serves for a lady's tears being they can cry at any time but a man is quite of another nature let him have but a good conscience and be clear of the world and i'll engage he'll not wash his face without soap that's what i say well well cried mr briggs do it myself never use soap nothing but waste take a little sand does as well let every man have his own proposal answered hobson for my part take every morning a large bowl of water and souse my whole head in it and then when i have rubbed it dry on goes my wig and i'm quite fresh and agreeable and then i take a walk in tottenham court road as far as the tabernacle or thereabouts and snuff in a little fresh country air and then i come back with a good wholesome appetite and in a fine breathing heat asking the young lady's pardon and i enjoy my pot of fresh tea and my round 
of hot toast and butter, with as good a relish as if I was a prince. Pot of fresh tea, cried Briggs. Bring a man to ruin. Toast and butter, never suffer it in my house. Breakfast and water gruel, sooner done. Fills one up in a second. Give it my servants. Can't eat much of it. Pop them there. Nodding significantly. Water gruel, exclaimed Mr. Hobson. Why, I could not get it down if I might have the world for it. It would make me quite sick, asking the young lady's pardon. By reason, I should always think I was preparing for the smallpox. My notion is quite of another nature. The first thing I do is to have a good fire, for what I say is this, if a man is cold in his fingers, it's odds if ever he gets warm in his purse. Ha ha! Warm you take me, sir. I mean a pun. Though I ought to ask pardon, for I suppose the young lady don't know what I'm a-saying. I should indeed be better pleased, sir, said Cecilia, to hear what you have to say about Miss Belfield. Why, ma'am, the thing is this, we have been expecting the young squire, as I call him, all the morning, and he has never come. So Mrs. Belfield, not knowing where to send after him, was of opinion he might be here, knowing your kindness to him and that. You make the inquiry at the wrong place, sir, said Cecilia, much provoked by the implication it conveyed. If Mr. Belfield is in this house, you must take him with Mr. Monckton. You take no offence, I hope, ma'am, at my just asking of the question, for Mrs. Belfield crying and being in that dilemma, I thought I could do no less than oblige her by coming to see if the young gentleman was here. What's this? What's this? cried Mr. Briggs eagerly. Who are you talking of, hey? Who do you mean? Is this a sweetheart? Eh, duck? No, no, sir, cried Cecilia. No tricks, one be bit. Who is it? Will no. Tell me, I say. I'll tell, sir, cried Mr. Hobson. It's a very handsome young gentleman with as fine a person and as gentle a way of behavior and withal as pretty a manner of dressing himself and that as any lady need desire. He has no great head for business, as I'm told, but the ladies don't stand much upon that topic, being they know nothing of it themselves. Has got the ready, cried Mr. Briggs impatiently. Can cast an account? That's the point. Can come down handsomely, eh? Why as to that, sir, I'm not bound to speak to a gentleman's private affairs. What's my own is my own, and what is another person's is another person's. That's my way of arguing, and that's what I call talking to the purpose. Dare say he's a rogue, 
don't have him chick but a wager ain't worth two shillings and that will go for powder and pomatum hate a plastered pate commonly a numbskull love a good bon jerome why this is talking quite wide of the mark said mr hobson to suppose a young lady of fortunes would marry a man with a bob jerome what i say is let everybody follow their nature that's the way to be comfortable and then if they pay every one his own who's a right to call them to account whether they wear a bob jerome or a pigtail down to the calves of their legs ay ay cried briggs sneeringly or whether they stuff their gullets with hot rounds of toast and butter and what if they do sir returned hobson a little angrily when a man's got above the world where's the harm of living a little genteel as to a round of toast and butter and a few oysters fresh opened by way of a damper before dinner no man need be ashamed of them provided he pays as he goes and as to living upon water gruel and scrubbing one's flesh with sand one might as well be a galley slave at once you don't understand life sir i see that do do cried briggs speaking through his shut teeth you're out there oysters come to ruin tell you bring you to jail to jail sir exclaimed hobson this is talking quite ungenteel let every man be civil that's what i say for that's the way to make everything agreeable but as to telling a man he'll go to jail and that it's tatmount to affronting him a rap at the street door gave now a new relief to cecilia who began to grow very apprehensive lest the delight of spending money thus warmly contested with that of hoarding it should give rise to a quarrel which between two such sturdy champions for their own opinions might lead to a conclusion rather more rough and violent than she desired to witness but when the parlour door opened instead of mr delvile whom she now fully expected mr albany made his entrance this was rather distressing as her real business with her guardians made it proper her conference with them should be undisturbed and albany was not a man with whom a hint that she was engaged could be risked but she had made no preparation to guard against interruption as her little acquaintance in london had prevented her expecting any visitors he advanced with a solemn air to cecilia and looking as if hardly determined whether to speak with severity or gentleness said once more i come to prove thy sincerity now wilt thou go with me where sorrow calls thee sorrow thy charity can mitigate i'm very much concerned she answered but indeed at present it is utterly impossible 
again cried he with a look at once stern and disappointed again thou failest me what wanton trifling why shouldst thou thus elate a worn-out mind only to make it feel its lingering credulity or why teaching me to think i had found an angel so unkindly undeceive me indeed said cecilia much affected by this reproof if you knew how heavy a loss i had personally suffered i do know it cried he and i grieved for thee when i heard it thou hast lost a faithful old friend a loss which with every setting sun thou mayest mourn for the rising sun will never repair it but was that a reason for shunning the duties of humanity was the sight of death a motive for neglecting the claims of benevolence ought it not rather to have hastened your fulfilling them and should not your own suffering experience of the brevity of life have taught you the vanity of all things but preparing for its end perhaps so but my grief at that time made me think only of myself and of what else dost thou think now most probably of the same person still said she half smiling but yet believe me i have real business to transact frivolous unmeaning ever ready excuses what business is so important as the relief of a fellow-creature i shall not i hope there answered she with alacrity be backward but at least for this morning i must beg to make you my almoner she then took out her purse mr briggs and mr hobson whose quarrel had been suspended by the appearance of a third person and who had stood during this short dialogue in silent amazement having first lost their anger in their mutual consternation now lost their consternation in their mutual displeasure mr hobson felt offended to hear business spoken of slightly and mr briggs felt enraged at the sight of cecilia's ready purse neither of them however knew which way to interfere the stem gravity of albany joined to a language too lofty for their comprehension intimidating them both they took however the relief of communing with one another and mr hobson said in a whisper this you must know is i am told a very particular old gentleman quite what i call a genius he comes often to my house to see my lodger miss henny belfield though i never happen to light upon him myself except once in the passage but what i hear of him is this he makes a practice as one may say of going about into people's houses to do nothing but find fault shan't get into mine returned briggs promise him that don't half like him be bound he's an old sharper cecilia meantime inquired 
what he desired to have. Half a guinea, he answered. Will that do? For those who have nothing, said he, it's much. Hereafter, you may assist them again. Go but and see their distresses, and you will wish to give them everything. Mr. Briggs now, when actually between her fingers, he saw the half-guinea could contain no longer. He twitched the sleeve of her gown, and pinching her arm with a look of painful eagerness, said in a whisper, Don't give it. Don't let him have it. Chouse him. Chouse him. Nothing but an old bite. Pardon me, sir, said Cecilia in a low voice. His character is very well known to me. And then, disengaging her arm from him, she presented her little offering. At this sight, Mr. Briggs was almost outrageous, and losing in his wrath all fear of the stranger, he burst forth with fury into the following outcries. Be ruined, see it plainly, be fleeced, be stripped, be robbed, won't have a gown to your back, won't have a shoe to your foot, won't have a rag in the world, be a beggar in the street, come to the parish, rot in a jail, half a guinea at a time, enough to break the great Mughal. Inhuman spirit of selfish parsimony, exclaimed Albany, repinest thou at this loan given from thousands to those who have worse than nothing? Who pay today in hunger for bread they borrowed yesterday from pity? Who to save themselves from the deadly pangs of famine solicit but what the rich know not when they possess and miss not when they give? Anon, cried Briggs, recovering his temper from the perplexity of his understanding at a discourse to which his ears were wholly unaccustomed. What do you say? If to thyself distress may cry in vain, continued Albany, if thy own heart resists the suppliant's prayer, callous to entreaty and hardened in the world, suffer at least a creature yet untainted, who melts at sorrow, and who glows with charity, to pay from her vast wealth a generous tax of thankfulness, that fate has not reversed her doom, and those whom she relieves relieve her not. Anan was again all the wandering Mr. Briggs could say. Pray, ma'am, said Mr. Hobson to Cecilia, if it's no offence, was the gentleman ever a player? I fancy not, indeed. I ask pardon then, ma'am, I mean no harm, but my notion was the gentleman might be speaking something by heart. Is it but on the stage humanity exists? cried Albany indignantly. Or thither hasten then, ye monopolizers of plenty ye selfish, unfeeling, engrosses of wealth, which ye dissipate without enjoying, and of abundance, which ye waste, while ye refuse to distribute, thither, thither haste, if their humanity exists. 
as to engrossing said mr hobson happy to hear at last a word with which he was familiar it is what i never approved myself my maxim is this if a man makes a fair penny without any underhand dealings why he has as much a title to enjoy his pleasure as the chief justice or the lord chancellor and it's odds but he's as happy as a greater man though what i hold to be best of all is a clear conscience with a neat income of two or three thousand a year that's my notion and i don't think it's a bad one weak policy of short-sighted ignorance cried albany to wish for what if used brings care and if neglected remorse have you not now beyond what nature craves why then still sigh for more why cried mr briggs who by dint of deep attention began now better to comprehend him why to buy in to be sure ever hear of stocks eh know anything of money still to make more and more cried albany and wherefore to spend in vice and idleness or hoard in cheerless misery not to give succor to the wretched not to support the falling all is for self however little wanted all goes to added stores or added luxury no fellow-creature served nor even one beggar relieved glad of it cried briggs glad of it would not have them relieved don't like them hate a beggar ought to be all whipped live upon sponging why as to a beggar i must needs say cried mr hobson i'm by no means an approver of that mode of proceeding being i take them all for cheats for what i say is this what a man earns he earns and it's no man's business to inquire what he spends for a free-born englishman is his own master by the nature of the law and as to his being a subject why a duke is no more nor a judge nor the lord high chancellor and the like of those which make it that amount to nothing being he is answerable to nobody by the right of magna carta except in cases of treason felony and that but as to a beggar it's quite another thing he comes and asks me for money but what has he to shew for it what does he bring me in exchange why a long story that he ain't worth a penny what's that to me nothing at all let every man have his own that's my way of arguing ungentle mortals cried albany in wealth exulting even in inhumanity think you these wretched outcasts have less sensibility than yourselves think you in cold and hunger they lose those feelings which even in voluptuous prosperity from time to time disturb you you say they are all cheats it's but the niggard cant of avarice to lure away remorse from obduracy think you the naked wanderer begs from choice give him your wealth and try give him a whip 
cried Briggs. Shan't have a souse. Send him to Bridewell. Nothing but a pauper. Hate them. Hate them all. Full of tricks. Break their own legs. Put out their arms. Cut off their fingers. Snap their own ankles. All for what? To get at the chink. To chouses of cash. Ought to be well flogged. Have them all sent to the Thames. Worse than the convicts. Poor subterfuge of callous cruelty. You cheat yourselves to shun the fraud of others. And yet, how better do you use the wealth so guarded? What nobler purpose can it answer to you than even a chance to snatch some wretch from sinking? Think less how much you save, and more for what? And then consider how thy full coffers may hereafter make reparation for the empty catalogue of thy virtues. Annan, cried Mr. Briggs, again lost in perplexity and wonder. Oh, yet, continued Albany, turning towards Cecilia, preach not here the hardness which ye practice. Rather amend yourselves than corrupt her, and give with liberality what ye ought to receive with gratitude. This is not my doctrine, cried Hobson. I'm not a near man, neither, but as to giving at that rate, it's quite out of character. I have as good a right to my own savings as to my own gettings, and what I say is this, who'll give to me? Let me see that, and it's quite another thing. And begin who will, I'll be bound to go on with him, pound for pound, or pence for pence. But as to giving to them beggars, it's what I don't approve. I pay the poor's rate, and that's what I call charity enough for any man. But for the matter of living well, and spending one's money handsomely, and having one's comforts about one, why, it's a thing of another nature, and I can say this for myself, and that is, I never grudged myself anything in my life. I always made myself agreeable and lived on the best. That's my way. Bad way, too, cried Briggs. Never get on with it. Never see beyond your nose. Won't be worth a plum while your head wags. Then, taking Cecilia apart, Harky, my duck, he added, pointing to Albany. Who is that Mr. Bounds, eh? What is he? I have known him but a short time, sir, but I think of him very highly. Is he a good man? That's the point. Is he a good man? Indeed, he appears to me uncommonly benevolent and charitable. But that ain't the thing. Is he warm? That's the point. Is he warm? If you mean passionate, said Cecilia, I believe the energy of his manner is merely to enforce what he says. Don't take me, don't take me, cried he impatiently. Can come down with the ready? That's the matter. Can chink the little gold boys, eh? Why, I rather fear not by his appearance, but I know nothing of his affairs. What does come for, eh? Come a-courting? 
mercy on me no what for then only a sponging no indeed he seems to have no wish but to assist and plead for others all fudge think he ain't touched ay ay nothing but a trick only to get at the chink see he is as poor as a rat talks of nothing but giving money a bad sign if he had got any would not do it wanted to make us come down warrant thought to bam us all out there ain't so soon gulled end of chapter four part one